You know, it's interesting is if you're honest with yourself and you even just get a sense of the room right now, what's happened since the beginning of the service and just the last few minutes, how we've been on a bit of a roller coaster ride emotionally. Because at the beginning of the service, we're doing the liturgy of the palms and we're singing songs like All Glory, Laud, and Honor, and Hosanna. And then we read Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And then we come to the Passion Gospel and Jesus dying on a cross. And in just a short period of time, in a half an hour, we've gone from being very high on the emotion and the singing and the whole focus of the the scriptures to Jesus having died and the solemnity of the moment. And there's a bit of an emotional whiplash. And many of us have probably been through similar experiences in our lives. Something as, as mundane as you've been out for a wonderful evening and you come out and find a flat tire on your car. Or you've been at a tremendous vacation or event only to get bad news when you get home about something or someone. So we're all familiar with a roller coaster ride emotionally, experientially. And can you imagine the apostles and what they had experienced over the course of that week? For those of you that may be visiting or haven't been here the last few weeks, we've been focusing on the apostles in the upper room with Jesus through John's gospel. And if you notice in the bulletin, and I encourage you to take your bulletins home, I make reference to John 19, 1 through 37, which is actually the passion gospel reading of John's gospel. We never read it on a Sunday In our church, because we do the rotation of the liturgical years of A, B, and C, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So we never read that. The only time we read John 19, 1 through 37, is on Good Friday in the Good Friday liturgy, which my guess is, if I ask for a show of hands, very few of you have ever experienced the Good Friday liturgy. It's in the Book of Common Prayer, page 276. And it's a wonderful service, and that's when we read the John Gospel reading. But reading at some point this week would be really, really helpful to read John 13 through 19 until you get to Good Friday, and then you can read the rest once we come to Easter because it puts in perspective what the apostles experienced. The triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And then being in the upper room with Jesus and having that intimate time, that wonderful time of teaching, and he washes their feet, and he loves on them as we love to talk about. Because he talks about how great his love is that he would lay down his life for them. And they have no concept that he's talking about in the immediate future, in the next day. Because they can't get their minds around the fact that he had just entered Jerusalem as the Messiah and what their understanding of what the Messiah should be like. Coming in to take over. Coming in to be the king, the triumphal king. 
And he came to be the suffering servant that we heard read in Isaiah. He's told them. They don't get it. Because they just can't. And how often we just can't comprehend fully what Jesus was about and what Jesus did for us. Sometimes it's lost on us. And it's why we sometimes take our faith so lightly. I mean, the apostles were focused on not only Jesus' love, but he's also talking about how their joy is going to be complete. So how could they possibly get their minds around the fact that Jesus had died? And John's the only one that actually stuck by him the the whole time. So if anyone understood the, the roller coaster ride, it was John. Because everyone else deserted. And Peter, as we heard in the reading from Luke's gospel, denied. Knowing Jesus. But John saw the complete passion, the trials and the crucifixion. He saw everything. And that's why it's helpful to read John's gospel from John's perspective. And when you read the various gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, even leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, you will see various aspects of the crucifixion. What Jesus says from the cross, different in every gospel. The different trials that you see. Sometimes you see the Sanhedrin. Sometimes you see Annas. Sometimes you see Caiaphas. Sometimes you see Herod. Sometimes you see Pilate. John focuses on Pilate. And it's really interesting because Pilate is often seen as this figure that was responsible for Jesus' death. In fact, if you read all four Gospels, including the one we heard read here, Pilate tries to get Jesus off. Do you realize that? Pilate tries to get Jesus off. And if you read John's Gospel, it's really fascinating what you read. Because the Jewish leaders would refuse to go into the courtroom in Pilate's palace. Why? Because they would become unclean and we're coming up on the Passover. And so they would never go into Pilate's place. And so what you find in John's Gospel is Pilate comes out to talk to the Jews. Then he goes in to talk to Jesus. Then he goes out to talk to the Jews. Then he goes in. To, he was a yo-yo. That's how hard he was working. Several times he did that. And he would say to Jesus, don't you get it? I'm trying to get you off. And Jesus was silent. And Pilate didn't get it. And if you read history, Pilate was a very cruel figure. But there was something about Jesus that hooked him. Part of it was the dream of his wife. Part of it probably was what he saw in this man. There was something about Jesus 
that kind of hooked him. But what eventually won out for Pilate? Fear. Fear of the crowds. Fear of Caesar. Expediency. Popularity. The same kind of challenges that we face a lot of times when we're dealing with difficult situations and some of the decisions that we make. We choose and make bad decisions when we're fearful. When there's expediency involved. When we want to be popular. It's the same temptations Pilate faces. And so Pilate caves in. Not that Jesus wasn't in control because he was. Because he was there to do his father's will. He came for a purpose, for a reason. So Jesus was actually in control, even though Pilate said, I have the power. Jesus actually was in control. And there's a fascinating little exchange where Jesus says, if you know the truth, you would understand. And Pilate says, what is truth? When Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, staring him in the face, and he says, what is truth? And that's another way we respond to various situations in our lives. Either we don't know the truth because we don't steep ourselves in God's word and willing to submit as Jesus would submit, or we choose ignorance at different moments because we don't want to know the truth. But the reality is, at this point, at this time, Jesus chose to take our place for our sin. That's why he was there. And there's a lot of people today that are very, very uncomfortable with that whole idea. That Jesus came to take our place for our sin. That's the reality of the situation. He was in control of what was going on. He knew his purpose. It's why he was born. In fact, Paul makes a very strong statement about what was going on. For our sake, for us, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He was perfect. He was innocent. He was pure. And he made him to be sin. Take, for example, just this place right now. Just this place, not the rest of the world. And Jesus were to take on all of our sins here. That would be a tremendous burden. I know most of you aren't that bad. But this is someone who knew no sin. Taking upon himself all of our sin. And going to the cross for us. Out of love for us. Which he chose to do. He was our Passover lamb. Promised from the very beginning. 
If you look in John 1, Jesus is referred to as the Passover lamb. And what was the Passover lamb about? He was the one who died for the firstborn. He was the one that died so the people could be freed from slavery. Fast forward. So that people can become children of God and become alive in faith. So that people could become free from sin, the bondage of sin. And Judaism itself always, every year, had a sacrifice of atonement. Jesus is our sacrifice of atonement once for all. And He chose to take our place. Have you ever taken anybody's place for anything? Has anyone ever taken your place for anything? We've heard a lot in the news recently about someone taking someone else's place for SATs and ACTs. Probably not for good. I would like to take someone's place either Monday or Wednesday this week in the Pro-Am. Stay tuned. But at different times in our lives, we have someone take our place. Sometimes it's thrust upon them. Sometimes it's a choice. Jesus chose to take our place because he loves us. Because he loves the Father and is fully submitted to the Father. He chose. Because he wanted our joy complete, he chose. He chose to deal with the pain and the struggles and the poverty, the gossip, the slander, the persecution of this world. He chose. That ultimately led to a cross. For you and for me. And it's important to... To not only consider that he did it willingly, he was innocent, and it was unjust. Have you ever been accused of something, and you were innocent, and you felt it totally unjust? How would you react? How have you reacted? I get really angry. You know, at one time Jesus said, I could have called down legions of angels. I would have called down legions of angels. Jesus chose to fulfill the prophecies. He chose not to. Innocent, unjust, for our sake, for our sin, out of love for us. Fulfilling a prophecy that was prophesied over 700 years before. As we heard in Isaiah Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. Struck down by God. Punishment is required for sin. Jesus took ours. Wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole. 
That's his desire. To make us whole. An offering for sin. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous. That's what he does for us. It's an exchange. He takes our place, our sin. We become righteous like him. That's his gift. It's amazing to look back over all the prophecies that Jesus fulfills. Dozens of prophecies. Dozens. Thousands of years before Genesis chapter 3, the first prophecy right after the fall. And then prophecy after prophecy, Isaiah over 700 years before. Zechariah and the Psalms, 600 years, 1,000 years. The prophecies that we read in the different Gospels that Jesus fulfilled, that they focus on. John focuses on the Passover lamb that no bones were broken that we see in both Exodus and Numbers. That when Jesus was hanging on the cross, we're told he had already died. They come to the first thief, break his legs, come to the second thief, break their legs. That's standard procedure so that they would die more quickly. If you understand crucifixion, Jesus was already dead. He had given up his spirit. He had won the victory. It is finished for us. And so no bone was broken. To prove it, his side was pierced. And we're told water and blood ran out, which means there was already a separation in the pericardia. Every Sunday, if you notice, in communion, when we talk about our Passover lamb, we add a little water to the wine to signify Jesus' death. And we're told by John, and I'm an eye Witness. The one who is telling you these things is true. So that you might believe. So that you might understand what he did for you. You know, the reality is at that point, the apostles thought it was over. The roller coaster had crashed. They had gone from euphoria to being distraught. Locked in the upper room for fear. I wonder how many of you get locked in an upper room. Maybe because of fears in your life. Maybe because of anger, unforgiveness. And you get frozen. And you're stuck. Maybe because you really don't get the gospel. Maybe because you've never allowed the Holy Spirit to really bring the truth of the gospel into your heart and into your life. Maybe because... You've never really allowed the Holy Spirit to fill you and transform you. And we stayed locked in the upper room.
See, if we had walked with the apostles, that's where we would be right now. But we know something else. We know Easter is coming. We know Pentecost is coming. That Jesus will rise again and that he will send his Holy Spirit so that we don't need to stay locked due to any fear or any anger or any unforgiveness or any pain in our life or brokenness. And he came to do this because he loves us. Spend some time this week thinking about the one who went to the cross for you, who died for you because he loves you, but rose again. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. That he came out of love for us. And the depth of that love that we can't fathom. The innocent for the guilty. So that we might know his righteousness. Know the depth of your love and have our joy complete. Lord, for any of us who are stuck in fear or anger or unforgiveness. That are unwilling to face the truth of our own lives. When we have the truth before us the gift of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the power of the resurrection. Lord, help us this week to truly understand, to not stay locked up, but to know that release and to live with that love and joy this day and every day, especially as we approach Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.